the Jam Yearbook. I'm Jim. And I'm Matt. We're here to take you on a journey through the years as we explore the music in our lifetime and the impact it's had on us and the world we've lived in. Welcome to version 1976, everyone. We've been knocking off a lot from the 2000s, and this week was a welcome dose of familiarity. <laughs> Yeah, it was. But unfortunately, we're not knocking anyone off this week. It was another week here without any major influential deaths for us. So happy times. Let's get on to the good stuff, the music, because there's a lot of it. Oh, oh, there is. It's the 1970s, right? Yeah. Every 1970s version we've done has been so much fun. It can be a little bit of a two sides of the coin. You know, the 70s that has some of the music that we've heard most of our lives. You might think, We'd be tired of it, but mostly I, I I look at the list and I'm just in awe of the quantity, not just an overall volume, but the amount that is considered classic. Yes. If you compare releases from 76 to 2022, first, the volume of music released each year in the 2020s is it's staggering. It's 1976, just look at it quickly and it might be half as much, but there's so much more in 76 that we can go through and just check off. No, it, no, it, yep, yep. Yep. It's so damn impressive. There are reasons why this music has stood the test of time because it's great. It, it makes me wonder what's out there for new music that will thrive like the seventies or even the eighties did. And I, I don't mean that to be pessimistic and say, you know, new music sucks because it doesn't. Um, I'm, ju I'm just wondering what is going to, what cream's going to rise to the top there. Yeah. There's definitely some music here that shaped my life and a lot that's lasted and continues to find new fans even today. We can definitely dive into how great some of this is, but I want to start out by saying that I really tried to deep dive into the country music for 1976. I was absolutely certain there'd be some classics. And Matt, while well, I found that there were a lot of classic artists like Willie Nelson, Dolly Parton, Tammy Wynette, Loretta Lynn, Waylon Jennings, they all put out albums, but it wasn't their most memorable year. The only hit song that I could really remember from my childhood was Lucille by Kenny Rogers as probably the biggest one. Boy, I, th I thought I was going to be the only one here. I was really looking forward to finding great country in 1976 because that's for us. I think that's where we find our, our people. Our country is in the 70s, especially with all those legends around. It was, it was really hard to understand why. Yeah, I'm sure there's some deep diving country fan out there who thinks we're idiots for passing something by this week. Somebody always thinks we're an idiot. So. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> One of the things we only touched slightly on in version 1979 was how great the cheesy music was in the 70s. It's not that the music's bad in as much as it's just so happy sounding. In version 1979, I stated that the Pina Colada song was the best slice of cheese from the 70s, but it may have been more of an exclamation point at the end of the decade because there are definitely some contenders here in 1976 that are going to give it competition. I think there's a fine line between true cheese and good music that gets lumped in. ABBA and the Bee Gees both put out albums in 1976 that rose above most others. Listen to the production on You Should Be Dancing. The middle section with the guitar solo and the percussion at the end are both incredible sections. And ABBA, they just put on a masterclass in songwriting on their Arrival album. But the king of all cheesy songs may have just been released in 1976. And it was Afternoon Delight by the Starlight Vocal Band. It is pure gold cheese. 
how can one song sound so innocent and still be about getting laid in the afternoon? (laughs) I loved this song as a kid, but I was oblivious to what it was about. (laughs) And that's what makes a song like this so special. Back then, were you thinking it was like an after school snack? Oh, yeah. Marshmallow <laughs> you know, <or> something. <laughs> yeah. Like a little snack pack pudding or goldfish crackers. <laughs> Can you imagine what went through parents' heads as kids sang along to that song? They had to think it was hilarious. Sky little Johnny has no idea fine. what he's talking about. <laughs> imagine if they put this song on the Muppet Show. <laughs> <laughs> they could have. <laughs> Rubbing sticks and stones together make the sparks ignite. Can you? I, I won't say the imagery, but it's kind of like twig and berries, right? <laughs> Thinking of he's working on my appetite. They were cannibals, of course. <laughs> oh my god! Can you say, you know that that was probably the king of cheesy music in, in the seventies? Oh yeah. But how about some cheesy rock music that was coming out? Oh, I, you're talking about Frampton Comes Alive, right? Yeah. That's got to be the most famous live album of all time. I like the hits from this album. There was a time when I really got into the talk box guitar solo on Do You Feel Like We Do? But now I kind of realize that it's one of the cheesiest rock albums of all time. If you go listen to it today, put on some headphones, kick back, and listen to the crowd cheering. It just makes me laugh because... There are times where they're, yeah, yeah, they're cheering and you don't have a clue what's going on because they're probably (laughs) moving amps around on stage or setting things up. Yeah, could have been a streaker (laughs) knowing it's the 70s. (laughs) But but it's good, fun cheese. I I just think in its time, for some reason, it just, it got overblown. None of his earlier albums sold well. And then suddenly this live album comes along and it sells 11 million copies worldwide. It has to be one of those in the moment kind of things because this was still a world without MTV, YouTube, or live rock music in general getting a lot of attention on TV. I think as far as cheese goes, I think the perceived level of it is directly proportional to how much beer I've had. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was on board with you that this is pretty cheesy, but you know, I, I threw a few back and I put it on the turntable if I didn't have a bad angle, I would have been dancing around to show me the way, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's just when you're in the right headspace, even if you're by yourself, it's a great album. Since since we're on cheese street, let's play the game. I'll name check. You say cheese or not. All right. At the end, at the end of the show, everyone, including us will never want to hear the word cheese again. I guarantee you. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. And just because a song is cheesy doesn't mean it's bad. Al Stewart, Al Stewart, Year of the Cat. Nah, that that's just that's not a bad song. It's a good song. Well, we'll disagree. Chicago, <laughs> if you leave me now. <laughs> Ooh, yes, just that part alone makes it a yes. <laughs> Orleans, still the one. I think maybe it was just a happy song. You know, you want to kind of clap along to, but not necessarily cheese. Okay. All right, I thought that was a cheddar all the way. Uh, Boz Skaggs, Lido Shuffle. I think that's probably borderline, but there's enough boogie in that song to still keep it chugging along, keep it away from yeah. cheese. Yeah, I think so. KC and the Sunshine Band, Shake Your Booty. Look, Matt, anything with booty in the title <laughs> is a certain yes. If it's got booty yeah. in the title, it's a cheesy song. Yeah. <laughs> Gordon Lightfoot, Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I think this song was 
probably well received when it first came out, but over the years, it's kind of transitioned to a yes. You know, it maybe people didn't realize it was cheese, but then it started to stink over time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, when I was younger, I kind of, you know, would sing along to it, but the older I got, I'm like, why is this even a song? What the hell, Gord? What what the hell? Uh, So uh, uh, Neil Diamond, Beautiful Noise. Uh, Nobody runs a fine line between cool and cheesy better than Neil Diamond. Preach, brother. Oh, yeah. Neil Diamond's still cool. Uh, Barry Manilow, I write the songs. (laughs) Well, look, we've got a king of rock and roll, and we've talked about the king of pop, and now we're at the king of cheese, and that is Barry Manilow. That's a Weird Al song. Yeah, but I, I, you're right. But I still like him. I still like Barry Manilow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I bet Barry Manilow karaoke is pretty fun, though. Oh, absolutely. Regardless of what you think of him. Um, Rod Stewart, Tonight's the Night. You know, as 50-year-old men, this song's probably cheesy, but I'm sure in the 70s, when you're coming of age and you were like 16, 17, 18 years old, this song had a lot of deep-rooted meaning to some of those adolescents back then. Oh, I bet so. so. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So since you threw some songs at me, I'm going to throw some songs back at you and you tell me what you think. Bring it on. All right. We're going to start with Wild Cherries. Play that funky music. I love it, but yes, I was walking out the door from work the other day and it was on and I'm like, wow, this still has such a great beat and funk groove, but yeah, it just goes down that cheese lane for me. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. And I agree with you. Uh, Wings, silly love songs. Hell yeah. But Jim, what's what's wrong with that? I've got to know because <laughs> he's gonna go again. <laughs> he's gonna great baseline. It is. I mean, it's Paul McCartney, so it's gonna have a great bass. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It is a great, but cheesy. It, yeah, yeah. It's Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Bellamy Brothers, let your love flow. For me, if it's sappy, happy, bouncy, and sounds like a jingle, big time. Yes. Is it a country song? I uh, I don't know enough of the Bellamy Brothers to say okay. so. I know it's got acoustic guitars, and if you watch them perform it, yeah, it's cheese. Okay, <laughs> that's all. Leo Sayer, you make me feel like dancing. Oh, I can't believe you're making me say this out loud. Yes, yes. <laughs> Wait, okay. So I don't want to sound like I'm convicting his whole catalog. His Just a Boy album is really good. Yeah, you brought one of his songs to your five. Yeah, I, I don't know why I'm having a hard time crapping on Leo Sayer, but that song is all. It, it's an entire block of Velveeta. <laughs> it is. Not even a good cheese. All right. So what about Queen, Somebody to Love? How dare you, sir? I can't believe you said that. Everyone, we're marching on Jim tonight. Torches on the left, pitchforks on the right. If he does not rescind his insinuation, <laughs> I might need to take a break. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting I'm, hot. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was either that or tie your mother down. So what? what? <laughs> oh, my God. I think everybody's got a torch and a pitchfork now. <laughs> Moving right along. Yeah. Moving. Oh, come on. Then you're now you're going to go to the Muppet show. Come on. It's a great we're going gonna to go to Bob Seger and Night Moves. If you asked me 10 years ago, I would have said yes. I would have really anything Seeger in general. All time rock and roll is pretty cheesy as well. But this is a good coming of age song. 
Yeah, it is. It's got a great sound if you go listen to it. Kansas, carry on wayward son. No, I think it's just more fatigued, classic rock. It's really fun to play. But yeah, I think more the times than not, when this comes on, I see people kind of roll their eyes. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's more of just a built-up hate for it now. It's a great dynamically written song with a great riff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great yeah. harmonies. Definitely. Yeah, Kansas and, and, I, and I think anything Kansas kind of gets a little blowback from Dust in the Wind. Oh, absolutely. People are tired of that yeah. as well. And finally, Steve Miller's Take the Money and Run. <laughs> That's okay. See, you put that in there, and then I want to say yes. <laughs> but no, I, Steve Miller, I kind of put in the category with the Eagles. You know, it's just a little, it's a little fatigued. I don't think it's cheesy, though. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Would you do that? It's a little cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, hold on now. The Eagles. Speaking of the Eagles, we're going to leave this game behind now. We're going to talk a little bit more about music. Was the dude right? If you don't know who the dude is, then, you know, you need Shame to you. Yeah. <laughs> Do the Eagles suck, man? I went into Hotel California this week anticipating one of the greatest albums of all time. I remember it well from you know being a kid growing up. After the first two songs, I realized I didn't really care for the rest of the album. I legitimately got bored. Life in the Fast Lane is a great riff and song, and drummers rarely knock what Don Henley was pulling off. But that was about it for me. I don't really need to hear Hotel California again either unless I'm prompted by some drunk karaoke. We generally avoid talking about greatest hits albums, but we can't avoid how massive the Eagles, their greatest hits album was in 1976. It's still the fifth biggest selling album of all time with 44 million copies sold. Matt, like, what do you think the appeal was to this? Do you still think it's as liked now as it was then? I mean, there, that's fifth. Hotel California is the sixth biggest selling of all time, <laughs> just within that one year. So am I being too tough on them? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, I think a lot of people have phases where they get into the Beagle, into the Beagles, <laughs> the Beagles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> okay yeah i i think a lot of people have phases where they get into the eagles or or steve miller um both their greatest hits albums are probably that gateway because let's face it those are those were some pretty big hits and we can't forget how great eagles live is either that's a great justice live greatest hits album. Maybe the Eagles are a palate cleanser. I remember when both of them came around to me the second time I was in my twenties. I lived through metal going through grunge. I was listening to a lot of tool nine inch nails. I went into work and I'm walking down the, the road tools and everyone has their radios going. Some people are a little older and, you know, going through, I'm hearing the Eagles and Steve Miller kind of wafting into the atmosphere. And it was really refreshing. Okay. And let's not forget about the effect Joe Walsh had on the Eagles. Fran Henley wanted the Eagles to be considered a rock band. Mm -hmm. And Walsh gave him that cred. Joe Walsh, he'll always be considered cool. He might even be the dude. So I don't know what the dude's <laughs> bitching about there. But I don't know if they really cashed in on his cred 100% on the albums. Live, yes, because they could pull from his solo stuff and the James gang. 
Mm-hmm. Have you ever watched Old Grey Whistle Test? Yeah. I think that's a I think that's a BBC show. It is, yeah. Boy, he he's on there with the James with the James gang. Man, they really kick ass. Um, but two things can make you a cool guitar player. A Les Paul, anybody can do that, right? Go get mm-hmm. a Les Paul. The second, be Joe Walsh. <laughs> there's, but there's only one Joe Walsh. And beyond his drumming, Don Henley's voice has always been an immense strength of the Eagles, singing as a whole, beautiful harmonies. I think your reaction is, and not just you, I, me as well, um, it's two fronts. You've heard it too much, so fatigue. And you would think that as much cocaine that was floating around the 70s and music would be <laughs> a lot faster. The Eagles can put you to sleep. They hold back so much on the records. If you had never heard the Eagles before and someone played you Hotel California, you might have a different opinion. New kid in town, waste of time, victim of love. Again, in the 70s, albums are well under an hour long. There's less chance of bullshit songs that are better served as, you know, lost tracks for anniversary editions. Yep. You know what sucks about the NFL? Having too many days where we can watch it. It becomes less special. Yeah, that's true. But back, back to the Eagles. Back, yeah, back, back, back to the Eagles. <laughs> I, I remember a story. This is just a little aside. Black Sabbath was recording Technical Ecstasy in the same studio around the same time that the Eagles were doing Hotel California. Sabbath would joke about having to scrape a pound of cocaine off the board before they could start. <laughs> That's saying something, considering Ozzy Osbourne was the front man of Black That's Sabbath. That's pretty messed up. Yeah. If Sabbath is complaining about your drug use. <laughs> I, I agree with you about Joe Walsh, 100%. And the James Gang and what he brought to... The Eagles did change that band, the whole entire dynamic. I love Life in the Fast Lane. I think it's a great song. I just said at the start of talking about them that that riff is a a fantastic riff. I almost had it in my five this week. It really flirted with being in there. That riff was something Joe Walsh just, he would use to while they were warming up. And Glenn Fry and Don Henley were like, what the hell is that? That's a song that we need to work on that. And, And they knew when they fired Bernie Ledden, the vocals might suffer, but if you can get Joe Walsh, you go do it. That that's awesome. I I didn't know that. I had no clue about that. His the warm up riff. That's cool. There is something I do know though, Matt. We're gonna shift now. This is the fact that you are a Kiss fan. I am probably the rare Kiss fan because I can turn on them pretty quick. (laughs) (laughs) But for some Kiss fans like myself, 1976 is one of the best years. Two great albums, Destroyer and Rock and Roll Over. I don't remember how old I was when I first heard Destroyer. It was the first album I heard from them, but it was on 8-track. And I was mesmerized by the cover. I kept taking the 8-track out and looking at the cover because it's a sticker on the goddamn (laughs) 8-track. You know, it doesn't have like a vinyl album jacket. But I was mesmerized by it. I'm like, what is this? I had no idea what to think of the makeup. You know, probably knew it was just a cover. Um, But they faded from my knowledge until maybe like 83 with Lick It Up. And I got reacquainted with Destroyer and then branched out to other albums like Rock and Roll Over. But somehow I had heard all these songs before. I, I don't know how. I don't know where. But Calling Dr. Love, Ladies Room, Making Love, those were not new songs for to me. I don't know if it was some of the older kids in the neighborhood were listening to it. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Rain yeah. me in. Yeah. 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 Fear is making its presence known. <laughs> prattling on about kiss without fear of being embarrassed by it. <laughs> but as I was saying at the beginning of this, let's take them down a few notches. So people don't think I don't see the flaws. <laughs> Are you waiting for me now to chime in? 
oh, yeah, I knew it was coming. They, I, they're not for everyone. And Kiss is their own worst enemy. <laughs> I, I told you when we were chatting earlier this week that I didn't grow up a Kiss fan. And I think that's part of it. And I think it really matters. They marketed themselves towards kids with lunch boxes and action figures and bad made for TV movies. Kids loved them in the 70s. So no matter what I say, Gene Simmons is just going to point at his bank account and label me as the fool. Dick move, Gene. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I struggled with these albums. Really, Detroit Rock City. Now that's a great fucking rock song. Absolutely, 100%. And Beth, I'm sorry. You know, screw the gatekeepers. It's a good song. And fans who feel like the band belongs to them need to get over themselves. But I struggled with most other songs on both albums. I, I, I put them both on and listened to them. I only got to about God of Thunder. <laughs> uh, the Destroyer before. Oh, come like, on. Wait you didn't a get minute. <laughs> You didn't even get to Sweet Pain or Flaming You. No, I went back. Oh, I went bastard. back. I, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you always have that moment where you have to stop and go back. <laughs> yeah. You know, and part of it was, you know, Gene Simmons. Part of it was just the, the, the cringy lyrics from other songs. I got a rocket in my pocket, you know. The, Grab no, onto my rocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and lastly, at one point when I was listening to them, I couldn't help but think that they sounded exactly like Dr. Teeth and the electric <laughs> from the Muppets. <laughs> oh, you're, you're not wrong, actually. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty good comparison. Everybody knows Beth, but Beth, it, it was a B-side to Detroit Rock City. Indeed, that was their third single, and it didn't even chart. It Because it kind of came out of nowhere because radio stations on their own just started playing it. And, you know, Kiss was already, you know, writing songs for Rock and Roll Over uh, because your reaction to Destroyer and Rock and Roll Over is pretty similar to OG Kiss fans when those <laughs> albums came out. Because their their first three records, they were not selling well until their live album came out alive. And it kind of captured the band's essence. Mm -hmm. um, but they also realized that those first three albums sounded like shit, especially Hotter Than Hell. So they bring in Bob Ezrin. I mean, just look up that guy's credentials and they got what they paid for, you know? I came in with a fucking whistle around and around his neck, calling them <laughs> campers and told him, don't ever stop playing until I tell you to. And they came out with a much more polished layered album. Kiss fans were kind of disgusted by it because they, they, they kind of felt like they were losing that ownership of the mm -hmm. band that you, yeah, that you alluded to. <laughs> so their, their answer to that is rock and roll over, which they brought in Ace's friend, Eddie Kramer. Okay. Um, again, he that guy's got some producing and engineering credits with, you know, like uh, Led Zeppelin, uh, Jimi Hendrix, just to name a couple, you know, yep. OK, I'm going to rein myself back in again. But Rock and Roll <laughs> Over has that harder sound without the overdubs and the string arrangements. But in the meantime, you know, Destroyer explodes because of Bath. Yeah. And you want cringy. Try listening to Gene's solo album. <laughs> and, and Paul can be just as bad. They both pith. They both pissed me off by taking every opportunity to rip on Peter and Ace. They're just kind of dicks that way. Mm -hmm. I have bright spots through most of their career, but they jumped the shark after the next album, Love Gun. Um, just what you wanted, more lyrics with sexual innuendo. But that's for 1977. And you alluded to them becoming, you know, cartoon characters. That is, you know, 78. You know, Kiss Meets the Park Phantom, the solo yep. albums, everybody becoming their own color and really a cartoon and a caricature 
of what they started out to be. That transition completed in 78. <laughs> All right. That's way more kiss than anybody wanted me to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I could literally do a few shows on them, sadly. I'll just say it's something I loved when I was a kid and I was able to look past the BS. And now that I can even see the BS, I can still enjoy the music for what it is. Well, that's good. That, that's yeah. all that matters. And, yeah. And we've been wallowing in the waters of music that may not be everyone's cup of tea for a little while here. So uh, let's get on to maybe trying to find some common ground. Yeah, we can do that. But just keep in mind, KISS had an army. They had an army. They did. So I'm sure there are some people that will agree with you out there. On common ground, let's talk about some of the huge debuts that came out in 1976. We had our introduction to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Oh, yeah. And this is an example of the UK getting their act together first. It took them almost a year to break in the States. And this album only got to number 55 on the charts. Yeah. Do you think their sound was a little too original or ahead of its time? It's hard to think of them, you know, having that thrown about talking about their music because they've been around for so long. But I don't know if there's really that much around in 1976. that sounds like them. I think they were more likely to appeal to a UK audience in 1976 because of a song like American Girl. The British population have an equal obsession like Americans have with the royal family. Anything American, you know, half the time they're going to want to listen to. But I think that Tom and the Heartbreakers just had a great, clean rock and roll sound. And yeah, they they had a bit of an original sound and his songwriting was really good. He had Dylan qualities, but his vocals were clear and you could understand what he was saying. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it. It's great music. So yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you gotta love it. Now, after after that, another great big debut was Boston. Oh yeah, and this is a band that I always want to write off. But then I listen to this album. It's a, it's a greatest hits. Smoking was a B side of more than a feeling. Yeah, an album is great when B sides become radio hits, right, Beth? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, when Kurt Cobain was writing "Smells Like Teen Spirit." He actually wanted to formulate a riff that was as memorable as More Than a Feeling. And also the song More Than a Feeling, it gave home studio owners a little bit of hope because it was recorded in the guy's basement at the time. And it was, you know, a sonic achievement to get something to sound so good that wasn't produced in a major studio. Well, I I mean, I don't want to take a giant crap on Cobain, but Tom Schultz went to MIT for engineering. This guy's a genius. That first Boston album, yeah, it was recorded in, in a basement in a studio that he built, and he was writing those songs while earning his master's degree. He he designed and built a lot of the equipment that was in that studio. This guy is a damn genius. He experimented on so many devices to come up with that sound. And one another thing that his company invented was, do you remember the rock band? It was this little like guitar, headphone guitar amplifier, so you could just practice in privacy and not bug everybody. And that was 1982 that, that, that he came out with that device. That's that, that guy's pretty damn impressive. Well, hold on. I'm going to say easy there, buddy, because when I was talking about, oh, I'm in Cobain, for it now. He called me buddy. <laughs> <laughs> when I, when I was talking about Kurt Cobain, th- that's who I was talking about. I didn't know his name. I didn't know who Tom Schultz was. I was just trying to explain that the riff to more than a feeling was so iconic. It inspired Cobain and smells like teen spirit. I'm sure Butch Vig had plenty of great studio equipment as well. <laughs> I wasn't trying to imply that Nevermind was recorded at home. So hold your shit in. Okay. Uh, all, right. all right. All right. I get your point about the riff. And truth be known, 
I would take Cobain's approach. That's a little bit more rock and roll. Uh, it's more punk. Yeah. I think that's way, way more lead. Uh, Boston takes more of a prog approach, thinking too much. <laughs> so let's move from Boston to New York. Okay. You know, we'll, we'll take a little car trip. And two bands that emerged from CBGBs became favorites of mine. Blondie and the Ramones. Yeah, Blondie. Is awesome. Uh-huh. <laughs> Deborah Harry is a legend. When I think about or want to listen to New Wave, Blondie is at the top of my list. They're the first band I think about. They dip their toes into the 60s a bit with this debut. There's definitely surf sounding guitars. And there's a couple songs where the backing vocals, they kind of make me think of leader of the pack. Okay. Kind of songs. Yep, yep. And while still having that new wave keyboard sound, if, if you haven't heard it, it's not heart of glass or rapture. That's more of their pop rock direction, but it sounds so good. And usually when we touch down in the seventies, I notice how much everything sounds better. Well, maybe more real is a better way to put it. The level of effects is just a natural sound. Yep. And I had such a crush on Deborah Harry. Who didn't? So, I know <laughs> it's something you don't hear as much about women from men. She's cool as fuck. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And now Matt, here we are. We have arrived at the Ramones. Drum roll, please. Yes. More legends, uh-huh. right? Yeah. I, I, I think I could just cut it as short as one of their songs right there. <laughs> just leave it. You know, we're not going to debate who started punk. So fuck all that. I'm just <laughs> going to continue to appreciate a band and an album that has influenced countless others and left a mark on the world that will never go away. You want to listen to 14 great songs in a half hour? Put on this album. Even if you don't like a song, I think you can spare the two minutes. Sometimes mostly they're under two minutes. <laughs> Whenever there's too much bullshit fuckery going on in any musical era, the Ramones will be there offering a reset. I love bands like Pink Floyd too, but I need the Ramones for when I don't want the task of studying what I'm listening to. I just want to feel something raw. And there's something about punk like this that gets all my thoughts going in the same direction. It's odd, but it does help me concentrate. Yeah, we talked a little bit in version 1974 about CBGBs and the amazing acts that you go and see there. Both of these bands were such influential legends of music. Both were there and contributed to the rise of punk. And as you say, Blondie led to, and as you said, Blondie also led the way for New Wave. Deborah Harry was a legend. She was the queen of CBGBs. She was talented, confident, and intimidating to the other musicians there. When she was in the building, it was her house. I'm so happy that I was able to go there before it closed. I would really love to have a time machine and go back and see what it was really like to be there when those two bands played. Well, that would have to be so awesome. If I'm making a Mount Rushmore devoted to the women of rock, Deborah Harry's on it. Yeah, well, there's there's no ifs. I'll do it right now. Okay, <laughs> Deborah Harry, Joan Jett, Chrissy Hine, and Ann Wilson. I I, I agree with that. Absolutely. Wait, wait, yeah, but how do I get Susie Quattro on there? Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is harder than I thought because nobody deserves to be kicked off. Nope, set nope. stone. Okay, that's what it is. All right. Okay, let's go into something a little more harder than okay. the, than the new wave. Um, well, maybe not as hard, harder than the Ramones, but Dirty Deeds done deep. Dirty Deeds done dirt cheap and high voltage. Two releases from ACDC. Yeah, these two albums. I don't think the states discover these albums until the early 80s. But for some reason, I think I told you I have an early memory of this music. 
And I'm not quite yeah, sure. You did. Yeah. I'm not quite sure where it came from. I had a lot of older cousins. I was the youngest grandchild of like 25 plus cousins. Oh, wow. So I think in a lot of them served in the military and went on ships overseas and such. So somehow this music came into my life, but I knew big balls when I was a kid <laughs> and, and I was really young. Of course, my juvenile mind thought that it was comedy gold at the time. And, <laughs> and the title track, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, I always thought it was so cool. And honestly, man, it's a long way to the top is 70s classic rock defined right there. Early ACDC was raw and it was fun. They weren't always great or even that good, but they had a formula and it always worked. What? What? All right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. They've had some stinkers. <laughs> I'll have to admit, even if they have a bad record, it's still cool because it's ACDC. They don't chase trends. But yeah, especially post Back in Black, they're pretty hit or miss. If I'm picking one ACDC song, though, it is Long Way to the Top. Mm -hmm. Those bagpipes get me every single time. Such a cool <laughs> song. And Dirty Deeds is a low-key great album. I mean, Ain't No Fun, Right On, Squealer, Problem Child, Jailbreak. Oh, man, I want to take a break. Let's do it right now. All right, let's go do that. That album's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Big balls. <laughs> so, hey, another band that we praise and crap on praise <laughs> and crap on and crap on and crap on is Aerosmith. Aerosmith rocks. That's that's an album. That, yes. But but they actually do rock on this album. <laughs> I I only knew Back in the Saddle. And, you know, when I went back to listen to it this week, because it was not familiar to me, there wasn't really much I could latch on to. So I kind of think this one is for the true deep cut fans. Uh, I disagree. Wow. We're going to disagree again on Aerosmith. Th this is a great Aerosmith <laughs> album. It's, it's dirty and messy, dirty and messy rock and roll, but the backbone is tight as hell. And besides back in the saddle, there's last child, nobody's fall sick as a dog, but this could also be the earliest sign of them realizing they could copy themselves though because listen to rats in the cellar it rips a little bit from toys in the attic i mean just look at the titles alone but listen <laughs> to the songs and there's a little bit of self-ripping going on there but it's still a cool song in its own right as much as we tear down post-pump aerosmith we got to give them the roses for what they did in the 70s all right matt i'll i'll offer roses to aerosmith in the 70s and, and I spoke highly of them in episode 1989. We'll see what happens when we reach the nineties. We all know what happens. <laughs> it's not a secret. Manua. Yes. So here we are. We've gone through a lot of music, but you brought us to 2001 in the last episode. I think it's time to move on to our five because this is where the cream of 1976 is going to rise to the top. You pick the year. So we're going to go with our five songs now and you get to go first. My first song is going to be Dancing Queen from ABBA. I am always going to need this song in my life. Frida and Agnetha's voices are embedded in my brain from, from you know, they're some of the first voices I really remember hearing. Mm -hmm. Being cheesy doesn't make a song bad. You know how some songs are relentless? Dancing Queen is one of those, but in a good way. One of my all-time favorites. In version 1977, I said Take a Chance on Me might be my favorite ABBA song. There might be a tie. I, I, can you imagine the music we could have gotten if ABBA and the Bee Gees wrote together? <laughs> but every sound on this song, it just fits perfectly. Yeah, it, it's a great song. I agree on it possibly being one of their best. 
I also like Take a Chance on Me, but this is right there with it. As I said towards the beginning of the episode, they were masters of songcraft. Benny Bjorn might have been the brains, but Frida Agnetha, they were the heart. I can just imagine what it was like to hear this for the first time in 1976. It must have been amazing. It's perfect for the playlist. Good choice. Okay, so where are you going to start your list? I'm going to surprise everybody, and I'm going to start with Bob Dylan. And this song is off the album Desire. It's called Hurricane. I have tried and failed a couple of times in my life to wrap my head around Bob Dylan. There have been a few moments where I, I thought I understood, but they've been pretty far in between in my life. This song has always been the exception. Long before the Denzel Washington film in my teen years, I learned the story behind the song and the injustice of boxer Reuben Carter, and I embraced it. Dylan's singing is fairly clear here, and I love the violin and the percussive elements of the instrumentation. This is hands down my favorite Dylan tune of all time. He should have done more music like this. Yeah. I mean, he could have shaved a couple minutes off, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good choice for a favorite Dylan song. Everything going on, it complements and covers up what can be annoying with his voice. That's There's no elephant in the room. People have trouble with his voice. A lot of times he can sound like a vocal caricature, but not on this song. It's, it's really good. I like this song a lot. Good, good. Well, all right. What's your number two? What are you going to do? What am I going to do? I am going to go with the Runaways in Cherry Bomb. One of the heads on my Women of Rock Mount Rushmore, Joan Jett. I'm going to amend an earlier statement. What two things make a cool guitarist? Les Paul, check. And you either got to be Joe Walsh or Joan Jett. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Deborah Harry, Joan Jett is cool as fuck. Lita Ford can have all the solos. Being cool is an attitude, and Joan Jett has that. And that's this song. It's a cool attitude. Yeah. I think a lot of people misidentified with the Runaways. I think they were one of those bands that was way ahead of its time. Not so much in sound or songwriting, but in the brave approach they had as an all-female rock band in such a male-dominated era. Can you imagine if they debuted in 1991? They would have been massive. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Joan Jett deserves to be on your Rushmore. And also, going back to Susie Quantro, Matt, it doesn't have to have four heads. Who made up that rule? True, true. Yeah, yeah, well, there's, the, there's the, whoever for, made Mount Rushmore. Th there's, there's room for more. <laughs> <laughs> there's room for more. If they deserve to be there, they deserve to be there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, Jim, moving on. What else do you got for us? We are going to go to the television. And we're going to turn on TV in 1976. And you are going to hear the Barney Miller theme. <laughs> and there are going to be a lot of people out there who are going to be like, what? But go look up the Barney Miller theme. And this I know, is Jim, not me. Yes. I, I, <laughs> I know I added the Rainbow Connection in 1979, and we've got some Star Wars. So I guess it's time to have a favorite TV theme song of all time. Barney Miller was one of those shows I watched on reruns in the early 80s. It was on every night at like 7 or 7.30 at night. I never forgot this theme song into my adult years. It's one of the very first songs I would go and look if I subscribed to a new streaming service and created a playlist. I just love the bass line, the groove, the horns, the key exchange, the guitar. It's, it is a perfect TV theme song that doesn't have lyrics. 
yeah, I love pulling this baseline out and see the reaction. If I get that wry smile from someone, they're my kind of people. Yeah. <laughs> Cause if it's going to happen, it's going to be within those first four notes. Oh yeah. Great show. Great song. Great. <laughs> oh yeah. The horns are awesome. Uh-huh. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So what is your next choice? So you caused me a little panic when you said you were going to bring on a TV theme when we okay. were talking. Okay. And I panicked because, oh, crap, you're going to pick the song I was going to pick, which is <laughs> Welcome Back from John Sebastian. Uh, he, he used to be in the band Love and Spoonful. His career was floundering, and he wrote a song for this TV show, Welcome Back, Cotter, and it became a hit. Um, it didn't revive his career, but it gave him a last hurrah. I can't hear this song or Barney Miller without seeing the show intro in my head. That's how much of an impact those two songs <laughs> have had on me. I really love both those songs, but my, my pick is welcome back. Yeah. What a great show. And what a great theme song. We're just missing the threes company theme this week. <laughs> to a trifecta. There were a lot of great TV theme songs in the seventies and eighties that carried a narrative for the show. You don't really hear that anymore. And this one might have been the best fit. Mr. Carter and the sweat hogs were some of the most memorable characters of 70 sitcoms. And hearing this song this week brought a huge smile to my face. Good stuff. Awesome. awesome. All right. What's your third song? My third song is going to be probably one of my top three to five favorite songs of all time. And that is Stevie wonders, sir Duke. It is off the album songs in the key of life. I just love the composition of this song, top to bottom, the bass, the horns with all the other instruments. It, it, it feels so tight and loose exactly at the same time, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Nathan Watts began a long career playing bass for Stevie Wonder on this album. And to be honest, I thought for a long time that it was James Jamerson from the Motown albums that came out in the 60s. It's that good. If you don't know who James Jamerson is, go look him up. He's amazing. But Nathan Watts just has that same level of, of approach to playing on bass and on this song. There are songs I've talked about being my favorite that I've had some deep emotional connection to. And I don't with this song. It just, when I hear it, it makes me so damn happy. It's one of those songs I've heard so many times, but on any given day, I can listen to it and then go back and start it over. And for me, that's rare. Really? You don't like to revisit songs? You're afraid you're going to get sick of them? I Well, no, not that I'm going to get sick of them, but I very rarely will listen to a song, go, hey, that's great at the end of it, and go listen oh. to it all over again. I'll go on to something yeah. next. I don't know if I can say more about this than it's an awesome song. It's true. It's great. We both have a love for this era of CV Wonder. This capped an incredible four-album run for him. Talking Book, Intervisions, Fulfilling This Is First, Finale, and songs of the key of life there those are must own records for me the, uh, you said it man the horn and the bass on sir duke they can lift anyone's spirits yeah they can yeah they can all right on to your number four what is it going to be it is going to be kiss in detroit rock city yeah this was the hardest song to pick i had to have a kiss song for what they meant to me growing up personally i could have picked anyone off these two albums but keeping in mind other people are going to be listening they may not want to hear certain things. So I had to pick Detroit Rock City. 
I'm, I mean, Sweet Pain, Flaming Youth, Hard Luck Woman, they all could have come on here. Paul gives a pretty ballsy vocal performance and that breakdown and solo, it's awesome. Even in rock songs, the 70s gave us great bass lines. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This <laughs> is 100% my favorite Kiss song. Were you dreading a deep track? I was a little bit. I'm, <laughs> I'm so happy that this song goes on the playlist. I, I know I took an opportunity to show on them earlier in the episode, but this song is polar opposite to everything that I disliked about them. It has amazing dynamics. I love the ambience intro to the song before the music even kicks in. And oh, then the that, car radio. Oh yeah, that. it's yeah, really yeah, cool. Yeah. And then the opening riff, that's been used for years for Kiss to kick off their live shows. Oh yeah, great. it's their intro. Yeah, great song once again. Good stuff. Awesome. All right, what is your number four? My number four, this won't take long, but it's just another fun song. And it is Rubber Band Man by The Spinners. The Spinners were a, a pretty successful 1960s doo-wop group and they managed to bring a song to you know the scene in 1976 so good on them it has such great vocals they're so smooth there are breakdowns and beats throughout the song going on and this is just one of those songs that you sing and tap your fingers to and if nobody's looking you get up and you dance like a spinner in the room <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you're bringing the r&b and soul this week we've had so much to talk about it's it, we've neglected it and it's some of the better music the, the spinners wrote themselves a theme song with rubber band man something that can be taken for granted in songs like this really in the 70s in general is how important the bass guitar see sir duke is and how much better music is with all these incredible voices singing together yeah not just not just two people doing you know one doing a harmony off the other but having you know multiple voices go at it it's yeah. awesome yeah cool all right so what is your last song from 1976 oh it's the ramones blitzkrieg of Bob. course of course it is <laughs> come, on. come on i can't call myself a ramones fan and not put this song on the playlist <laughs> another signature song if i ever heard one uh, you know, this is heard everywhere. You can't go to a sporting event without, you know, people going, hey, ho, right? It gets pumped into the stereo. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that tease too. I just play the whole damn song, please. <laughs> I always want to go down, like if I'm going down the aisle in the grocery store, I always want to just go, hey, ho, and Let's just see go. if anybody, <laughs> exactly, and see if I get a callback on that. <laughs> that could be a fun game. Seriously though, for me, this is what I want punk to sound like. The songs are short sweet and for all the rough edges there's still really good musicality to it just like kiss i could have picked six other songs but everyone knows this and i think it's universally tolerated if not loved yeah yeah i'm so happy that this is the song that you brought to the show it absolutely belongs on the playlist it's just such a perfect introduction to every bit of energy that the ramones were going to give this is a hard album to pick one track from but yeah, I, I do think the immense popularity of it is what makes it deserving to be on the playlist. Yeah. And we've got some time left, so I don't think we're done with the Ramones just yet. No, I got a cleanup episode or two. I could put beat on the brass <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> okay, that wraps up my five. Uh, what are you going to close yours out with? I'm going to close mine out with, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you're enjoying my R&B and soul this week. So I'm bringing one more. And that is James Brown's Get up off of that thing and in parentheses, release the pressure. I'm back. I'm back.
I love to walk to this song with headphones on. I think everybody has that song out there that they like to be walking down the street and they catch that groove. This is my staying alive. I catch the groove and I just go with it. And then that clavinet comes in. This is such a unique keyboard sound. Through yeah. headphones, it just melts my eardrums like butter. It's, it's percussive at the same time. Yeah, it's not just ear candy. It's like brain candy. Mm. And, and just listen to the band. How much fun are they having recording this song? There's so much calling back and forth to one another, hitting their marks when James calls for them. Go listen to the extended version, the full album medley of it. The drumming is amazing. This is the kind of song that makes me celebrate music. And just when I think I'm bored with James singing the same verse over and over again, the band does something to keep me right there in the song. I also have to say on a funny note, in typical James Brown fashion, he was in trouble with the IRS. So he gave the writing credits to his wife and two daughters so that the family would still get the money. <laughs> Oh shit, I didn't know that. That's pretty yeah. funny. <laughs> I listen to this song and I wonder why anybody would want to use 808s for a beat when you know what people can do with an actual drum set. Yeah. A, a drum set just gives you so much more feel and heart and soul. I don't know if people think James Brown was an in, just an intense performer. He was a lot more than that. He ran a tight ship with that band. You better know what you're doing. Oh yeah. He demanded as close to perfection as possible. It wasn't practice. It was a dress rehearsal. He supplied you a uniform and you better be wearing all of it. Sometimes I wonder if he became a caricature to some people, but he's, he was so far away from that. Whatever he did or said in a performance, he felt it. He meant it. He sold every part of himself on that stage to convince you that this is the best show you're ever going to see. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, there's nothing wrong with little James Brown on the playlist. We need it there. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I wonder if that I'm back was directed to the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. But you know yeah. what's funny? It, he's exactly right. Get up off of that thing and dance so you feel better. Get up off of that thing. Try to release that pressure. And how many people in this world love to go out at the end of the week on a Friday night they just get up off their asses and they go dance and they let it go. And yeah, he knew what he was talking about. So that's, yeah, that's James Brown right awesome. there. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm surprised we haven't had James Brown on the playlist yet. That's, that's kind of a crime. It is. It is. I'm glad we got him there. <laughs> that's crime. All right. So that, that wraps up our five. We can move on from ours and we can go to the poll from the Facebook page. Yeah. Good songs. We this can week. have some new additions to welcome to the jam yearbook playlist. Yeah. So I'll start. We will go with Boston's more than a feeling. Of course, good stuff. Classic, classic, good stuff. Yeah. And after that, we have heart crazy on you. You said earlier in the show that you would put Ann Wilson on your Mount Rushmore. Here she is. This song's fantastic. Yes, it is. And for those of you demanding more cowbell, blue oyster cults, <laughs> don't fear the reaper. You know what we need? We need more cowbell on this show, Matt. <laughs> that might drive people away, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody agreed with us that Starlight Vocal Band's Afternoon Delight is a delightful piece of cheese. Yeah, we have to have some Randy listeners <laughs> for that. <laughs> but, but I'm happy to have this on the playlist. Hey, you want to talk about what to do after work? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a tie. We could have flipped the coin, but both these songs deserve to be on the playlist. 
because they're beloved classics and we're late lazy, I think. So (laughs) (laughs) we're also going to add David Bowie's golden years and Peter Frampton. Do you feel like we do both great songs and break out the talk box? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wait, no, that. Yeah, though, that's a different song. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, Matt, it's, it's time to wrap it up. So part two is next week. Yeah, I know. I don't want to leave the seventies either. <laughs> I know. Oh, well, we don't have to, we got a few more in this decade to cover, I guess. Yeah, but it's probably better if we savor them. We got to, we got to hold off. You're right. You're right. I feel like when we cover the seventies, I cannot speaking for you, but I I'm more relaxed. I feel like I can embrace more of the music and it seems like we joke around a little bit more, maybe because we're not, uh, gonna piss anybody off and we're not really protective <laughs> over the music yeah, like we might be in the 80s 90s yeah, the pretentiousness <laughs> just seems to go right out the window yeah almost does. everything <laughs> is cool in the 70s that's why it's so much fun to be here yes so you sound like you might be a little worried about where we're gonna go next uh, a, a little bit ah, a little bit worry. i think it's gonna be culture shock no matter where we go oh absolutely but don't worry too much we're not going to go too far ahead. We're not going go to the 2000s just no. yet again. We're oh. going to go to 1985. Oh, cool. Yeah. I want another shot at that year so close to 86 that I so deftly crapped on. <laughs> well, now's your chance. So <laughs> yeah, we will go yeah. to 1985 and we will find out how that wedges right into the middle of the 80s. Yeah, I'm looking forward to 85. That's going to be a lot of fun. It will be. It will be. I think it's your turn to wrap it up this week. It is. I think we've lingered on long enough. The 70s generally produce a longer show than than others. (laughs) (laughs) So we want to thank everybody for tuning in every week and for uh, all the participation on the Facebook page. And from the Jam Yearbook, we want to say goodbye. and We'll see you next time for 1985. Yeah, thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Peace, love, and podcast. (laughs) 